Finally, it's time for our favorite tournament of the year. We'll get to see all of our faves playing on our favorite courts. Serena on Ash? Well, she pulled out with an injury. Fine, uh, Rafa? Mm, he did too. Sophia, dummy? Josefina, I have some bad news for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On to Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Travia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravi and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Alright, so today is August 30th and we are recording episode 71 and it's kind of the first episode of our, like, new like the new year of hold on to your racket which is pretty cool because we just released that game show that was meant to celebrate our anniversary and now we've come full circle and we're covering the u.s open again and that is our this is our favorite slam so we're so pumped to be doing this again but first before we do that we're actually gonna do a little throwback and have some hot headlines which we haven't had in a while and the first one is regarding the Slate Magazine article released written by Ben Rothenberg, and it was titled, Every Day I Was Crying. Olga Sharapova says her ex-boyfriend, tennis star Alexander Zverev, abused her. Why hasn't the tour addressed it? So we've seen this before. This is actually uh, kind of a con- continuation of the first interview that Ben Rothenberg released with Olya um, Sharapova Zverev's ex-girlfriend who detailed her domestic abuse allegations against Zverev and he re- released the first part in November of 2020 and now we're seeing the continuation of that article and really going more into depth with the situation and the allegations and I mean it really it has spread around like the word has spread about the article definitely in the tennis world more than the first one has. Yeah, the first one was kind of like, it was published in Racket Magazine, so probably like a little bit of a smaller audience, and I think just like having a part two, sort of going even more in detail, um, really sort of solidified things for a lot of people who maybe were hesitant to believe it in the first place, place, or a lot of people who I knew in terms of like tennis fans just found out about this whole thing with this second article, so um, in a way that's that's good that it's getting the word out. So more specifically, the Slate Magazine article um, includes a part of the interview where Sharapova discusses further instances of abuse that she experienced following the 2019 U.S. Open, which is where she detailed one like specific fight that they had, where he, you know, was re- like where he attacked her. And we're not going to discuss, like, obviously, like, the specifics of, you know, what she detailed in the article, since that may be, you know, triggering for some people. But if you're able to, and if you feel, you know, comfortable with it, we really do strongly encourage you to read both articles in full. Um, And in this article, they actually, both Olya Sharapova and Rothenberg, they provide a lot more details and proof of the events, like photos, screenshots of text messages, you know, so it's it's been it's definitely taken the tennis world 
by Storm, and I think it's really commendable that, you know, on Sharapova's part, that she kind of came forward to do a second interview um, and was able to do that, and also for Rothenberg to continue pushing for this to be published. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with it, though. Yeah, and even regarding the title of the article itself, ending with why hasn't the tour addressed it, the ATP still has no domestic violence policy. And, I mean, the ATP was constantly being inquired about, like, they were constantly being asked for statements, and they still have yet to release one, except for the fact that four days before the article was published, the ATP announced that it would be doing a review of its, quote, safeguarding policies, including those surrounding domestic abuse. But once again, we've seen no specific instances, no immediate action being taken, and that's really what's bothering people since it's really just they're promoting an unsafe environment yeah they kind of wanted to get ahead of the story so as it said in the article to date atp has typically refer deferred to legal authorities in cases of abuse before determining if further internal action is warranted under the atp code of conduct the statement said the report is expected to set out a number of recommendations to elevate safeguarding across the organization and identify opportunities for more proactive involvement. Following its completion, the ATP will evaluate its recommendations and possible next steps across a range of safeguarding matters, including those pertaining to domestic violence. So, we've discussed in previous episodes how unlike a bunch of sports like um i believe the mlb and the nba the atp lacks a domestic violence policy and some of this has to do with the fact that the atp kind of functions differently than those players associations because tennis players are employees of the atp in the same way that basketball players and baseball players are employees of the nba and the mlb because tennis players they get prize money not a salary so suspending players in that instance in terms of like money wise isn't as you know black and white but I mean that doesn't mean that you know that that's kind of like a technical matter I mean in terms of the fact that they don't want to invest like they don't want to set some sort of policy clear cut um, making sure that their players are being responsible and that they are promoting a safe environment I mean that's like the bare minimum Yeah, and because of that, as of now, since no legal action is being taken in this case, since Olya, um, she preferred not to, since she said that that wasn't her point. Her point was to get the word out and to say, to, um, really speak her truth about her experiences with her ex-boyfriend Zverev, who is thriving on tour right now in the midst of these allegations and that's really what she's trying to and that's what ben rotherberg are trying to say and get out with this article and so because no legal action is being taken on olia's part the atp will do nothing about these allegations which is absolutely ridiculous and if we contrast this with the basilishvili case which we've also mentioned in previous episodes The ATP will apparently look into that once the court in Georgia makes a decision on the case. But even there... Because they've they've done legal action, yeah. Exactly. But even there, they've done nothing, and they're just kind of waiting for it to settle on the court's part, which is ridiculous, because it's... Like, the Steelers Philly's out there making money. I mean, I don't really see, like... like Yeah. Like, the the whole wait-and-see thing is really dangerous. 
Yeah, and then also there's the part that a lot of people are saying that since Olya didn't press charges, there isn't any truth to the story and people shouldn't believe her. But really, that is ridiculous because maybe she just... I mean, you go to court to get money for settlement and maybe that's not what she wants. What she wants is for the truth to be uncovered. And it really makes no sense that people would accuse her of lying just because she's trying to do an honest thing. Also, a bunch, like, um, a lot, one of the reasons that, you know, she talks about this in her art, in the article about why she didn't want to come forward, she really did say that her, like, that's not her goal. Her goal isn't to, like, get back at Zverev in any way. She just wants to show that it, it is possible, she literally said this, that it is possible for girls to you know, be able to speak out about, or victims in general, be able to speak out about this stuff, and, you know, she said something along the lines of, like, you know, you know that you're not being dishonest, you know that you're saying the truth, who cares what other people say, you just know in your own heart that you did the right thing by speaking out, um, so I thought that was a really admirable and brave thing for her to say, also, like, just saying, like, just coming out with this interview, like put her in so much like difficulty in trying to find a job she talked about because a lot of companies didn't want to hire her because they saw her name in the news whereas Verve's just like you know getting more sponsorships Rolex sponsorship um which is crazy in in and of itself but like imagine pressing charges like that makes things even more complicated also pressing charges means you have to kind of relive that trauma of everything that she went through and this interview was already so difficult for her to do um, and then also, like, you don't know how, you know, whatever legal authorities, police authorities might treat her. It might be, again, triggering hard to sort of, um, you know, live through again. And I think that, again, she said she wasn't really looking to get back at Zverev. And victims can probably, like, there, like, some people, like, with the Basilashvili case, his ex-wife wanted to press charges. Great, go do that. And she speak, spoke out as well. In Olya's case, she just want to press charges, but, you know, her speaking out and her being brave enough to share the story is, you know, who are we to judge her for not wanting to go forward with the legal route when she's doing so much already? Yeah, I mean, even when it comes to if she did choose the legal route, she's put at such a disadvantage automatically because like she even spoke about in the article she's having difficulty getting a job because of this like quote scandal that she's associated with which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous in its own but to go to court against Zverev who was a Mm multi-millionaire due to due to tennis I mean it's obvious that like in court it's going to be like there's going to be some sort of bias no matter what so she's you, already at a disadvantage in that exactly regard. yeah so you know again like the most disturbing part of all of this is that Zverev gets to continue to play totally unscathed totally unbothered in terms of that and he's actually now suing Ben Rothenberg in Slate magazine he um released a statement that said I have engaged my German American lawyers, German and American lawyers in the matter. They've already obtained a pro- preliminary injunction injunction against the source and the author who published the false allegations. The court followed our arguments and states 
the accusations aroused are defamatory and false. The lawyers have therefore initiated further proceedings against the source and the author. I don't know what court he's talking about, but okay. Um, I categorically and unequivocally deny having abused Olya. I also fully support the creation of an ATP domestic violence policy. I will not address this matter any further. So much to unpack in that statement. Uh, yeah. I mean... Um, okay. Okay, it's Well, Slate Magazine then responded with their own statement. Yeah, they said, Today we were informed that Alexander Zverev started legal proceedings in Germany against Slate following our report on alleged domestic abuse. Though Slate does not comment on pending litigation, we stand by our fair and accurate reporting based on multiple sources and interviews. So, yeah. as they should. So... Zverev kind of said a very similar thing during his press conference. He said, quote, unquote, the court confirmed that the allegations are untrue, and he continued to deny them. No court ever confirmed that. Like, that's fact. But you can, like, journalists have published that no court has ever confirmed that. So I don't know what he meant by that, because it hasn't been taken to court yet. Um, And again, he said again that he supports the ATP developing a domestic violence policy, but said the same thing in his press conference and denied the allegations and said that he doesn't want to speak about this anymore. So, so much for it. I mean, I don't know what more to expect in these press conferences because, I mean, he is still the favorite, one of the favorites after Djokovic to win the tournament. He's been having, you know, in terms of his tennis, a really great season and, you know, probably playing some of his best tennis ever, which is scary in my opinion, like, in the midst of all this, the fact that he's playing his best tennis is really terrifying, um, so, yeah, I don't know, it just, it just seems like he can, it's so easy for him to get away with all of it. So, like, finally, what we just want to say is ways that we can help in our own way, what tennis fans can do, because Olya really put herself out there once again for the second time, um, to, to speak her truth and tell her story and really we want to like elevate her voice and amplify it as much as we can so we would say just continue talking about this like don't forget about it and spread the word and especially as he continues to get more attention as the u.s open starts and i mean promote the article posted on social media things like that but I mean, going back to what Olya has done, I mean, after this article was released, I know Shravya told me that another player actually, another player's ex-girlfriend actually came out with abuse allegations, right? It was Tiago Saboth-Wild. Yes, that, I've been looking into that. It's a little bit difficult to figure out what's exactly going on, because all the articles are in Portuguese, but um, a, a newspaper came out with that article We'll, we'll kind of update you guys on it as we kind of hear more about that story. Yeah, but, the, but I thought the same thing, the ripple effect. Like, yeah. once people saw Olya coming out, the fact that... And, like, who knows how many other instances there are in the tennis world of this kind of stuff that kind of just, like, goes brushed under the rug. So, But really, this proves, once again, why legal action wasn't necessary because she's doing enough by just telling her story and getting it... Getting it get, like, spreading the word about it because she's empowering women that have been victims before and that's really what the point of this is and we really we applaud her for that and that's why we will continue to spread the word and speak about it whenever we can 
Yeah, and, like, honestly, one last thing I would just say is that I've encountered so many tennis fans recently that, like, didn't know about this at all. Like, at all. They didn't know about this whole domestic abuse allegations thing. And honestly, just, like, bringing it up and talking about it does so much to spread the word. Because, like, how else are people going to find out if, you know, the regular, everyday, casual tennis fan doesn't know about it? So, I mean, that the conversation does a lot. Um, even if, like, it doesn't seem like much, it's still sort of, like, you know, if you love the sport, I feel like you need to be also love have enough like respect for it to want to uphold um certain principles and you know support um people like Olia who come forward with points that really point out that there's so many flaws in the way that you know the tennis like tennis governing bodies function and like the lack of rules and and accountability they have for their players um but moving on to our second hot headline which is actually something that opens up into a wider discussion um, surrounding public health and the tennis world. The U.S. Open announced that it is requiring proof of vaccination for all fans, but not for players. So as as per a mayoral mandate in New York City, all fans 12 and older have to show proof of at least one shot of a COVID vaccine. Um, But that raises the question, if patrons are coming in uh, having to be vaccinated, rightfully so, to keep it, you know, safe as possible, because it is really crowded over there, shouldn't players also be required to be vaccinated? So, for example, French player Gilles Simon refused to get vaccinated despite vaccination being really accessible in France. He said that he's, quote-unquote, not afraid of COVID. But then he just found out that his coach tested positive, and now he has to withdraw from the main draw. We've also seen sort of vaccine skeptic comments from players like Rublev, Sabalenka, uh, Tsitsipas. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, Djokovic, like you can keep going with the number of tennis players who have made those sorts of comments. But, you know, we have some tennis players who disagree. Exactly. We have Andy Murray saying, ultimately, I guess the reason why all of us are getting vaccinated is to look out for the wider public. We have a responsibility as players that are traveling across the world to look out for everyone else as well. So, I mean, he's right. I mean, players, these players travel around the world year-round. They make contact with so many different people and, like, just come across so many different people from different countries globally i don't know how else to explain it but he's right i mean tennis players affect a lot of people also like i feel like it's so simple like countries and airlines require normal people like non-athletes to get vaccinated if they want to travel um you know these players are coming into contact with, as you said, so many different people because there's now fans at events now and you're traveling, you're in going on a plane. So if normal people have to get vaccinated if they want to do all that, why should tennis players yeah, get I a pass? Really, like, I, I don't, really don't get that. that. Like, why does that privilege need to be in place when it's a public health matter? Like, it's really, it, it, it just really doesn't make sense to me. And actually something that's pretty concerning is that ATP and WTA tournament officials at the U.S. Open have remarked that player vaccination rate is less than 50 percent less than 50 percent of players are vaccinated 
Yeah. Like, so you could see that there's an obvious problem. Like, the numbers are practically yelling it at you. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, you were saying that I don't understand why they get this privilege. Like, it's not even a privilege at this point. It's just a stupid choice. Like, just just get the vaccination and live your life. It's literally the least the ATP and the WTA could do is like, like some of them are so misinformed, like they think that the vaccine is like, not safe or whatever. The least the ATP and WTA could do is like provide some sort of information seminar. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that they did the Australian Open tried to hold a seminar concerning all exactly concerning all of their COVID restrictions and like, all that they were trying to do to keep everyone safe, and, and then there was this one guy that spoke out about it, and he was, like, a maybe top 200 ATP player, and and he said that no one was there, so these players, they're not only misinformed, they simply don't care, like, it's so ignorant, it's so rude, so careless, it really is, but, but there is something that could really change things up because the Australian Open is actually exploring the possibility of relaxing COVID restrictions if and only players are vaccinated. See, that's the privilege they should get. Vaccinated players should be awarded things so that the other ones are like, wait, but I want that. Since apparently that's how primitively they think when it comes to vaccinations. So. Yeah, but... I guess what I would say is with both of these hot headlines, you can see that about pretty serious and important matters, the tennis world's governing bodies are really lacking with keeping up with, like, basic things. Like, things that, like, important measures, but that really should be in place about their players and holding them responsible that are just not there. Yeah. PTPA, where are you? (laughs) When we need you. (laughs) All right, we're a little bit late, but we kind of want to take this opportunity to, I mean, it's only been like one day of the first round, but we kind of want to take this opportunity to take a look at the draws, take a look at what we can expect from the USO when we're doing kind of like a casual draw analysis, as we like to call it, um, and give you a rundown on the, both the WT and the ATP side. Quarter by quarter, who do we think strong? Who do we think could maybe make an interesting run? And who do we think has the most kind of firepower going into our favorite Grand Slam? But first, let's talk about who is not attending the U.S. Open this year. So some notable absences include Serena Williams and Venus Williams, both out with injuries, and Sophia Kennan, who tested positive for COVID-19. So obviously it's super unfortunate that we're missing all of them. All right, moving into the first quarter of the draw, we've got Ash Barty's quarter. So Ash Barty, number one seed, the Barty Party. We, I'm so happy we like became fans of her. Like at the beginning of yes. this year, yes. Before she got all like, you know, oh, I'm beast so cool mode. That. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Barty Party has been proving herself as one of the most consistent and deserving world number ones in a while. Like oh my god! And then remember last year when everyone's like, "Why is she still number exactly. one?" I'm pretty sure we did an Instagram story post at one point that was like, "Do you think that Ash Barty should still be world number one?" 
And like, okay, but we we didn't speak on it. We didn't speak on it. I know, I know. We're just asking the tennis public. (laughs) But it's funny to think about looking back. No, but honestly, I think it's fair to say, like, at that point, there was an actual debate because of the COVID rankings and that she, she was barely playing all year. But now she's proving herself and I have absolutely no problem with it. Exactly. You go be number one. You deserve it. Exactly. So she actually just won Cincinnati without dropping a set. So she's like absolutely goading right now. And we're all for it. And she has the most match wins on tour this season being 40 and is 14 to 1 versus top 20 players this year so she is definitely one of the favorites if not the favorite to win the tournament this year and she's definitely our pick yeah we actually just and i like filled out like the tennis draw challenge bracket thing for the first time for the u.s open um, it took so long it took so of, long like one of our friends kind of convinced us to and we were like, okay, why not? So we just did it. And like we did it like at the last minute. We had two, like, yeah. two minutes before matches started. We finished it. But we'll see how it goes. Um, Ash faces a few early threats in her quarter with uh, Towson, Kuder Matova, winner of Mohova, Sarah Cerevis Tormo. I want to point that out because Mohova defeated her at Australian Open and SST defeated her at the Olympics. Um, Jen Brady was going to be in that section, but she just pulled out of the tournament with a knee injury. But, I mean, these are all tough opponents, but I really, like, don't see this as that much of a challenge for Ash Barty. I think that she should be able to get through here, considering how well she's doing. And then some threats in the quarterfinals. So the strong players that would be in the other half of this quarter include Belinda Bencic, um, Jessica Pagula, Annette Contave, and Iga Sviatek. So Jill Teichman is also here. Don't sleep on her because she was the Cincinnati finalist against Ashley Barty. And Benchich is coming off her gold Olympic Olympic gold medal. That's kind of a little bit of a big deal. And Contave is coming off of the Cleveland 250 title. So a lot of these people have like a lot of momentum behind them and they're quite dangerous right now with the confidence that they have. So these are going to prove to be some interesting matches and then when it comes to Iga she's been having like a mess season so we don't really know what to expect from her since it's been kind of rocky but it seems that Benchich and Contivate are the strongest to reach the quarters versus Barty but we have confidence that um Ash can make it to the semis if and then win the whole thing <laughs> that's that's our plan yeah you can check out our bracket it's pretty we're not doing that badly so far. Yeah. But um, next up, we've got Karolina Pliskova's quarter. She's the number four seed. She's got a pretty interesting one. Her main threat to reach the quarterfinals is Paula Bedosa. Um, but Karolina's been doing really well this season, especially kind of in the second half and in the hard court swing. We you know, saw her reach the Wimbledon final, but she actually also reached the Rogers Cup final and the Cincinnati semi. So we definitely see... Pliskova making the quarters here. Um, I'm actually like weird. My mom is a huge Pliskova fan. I think only because she knows that I'm not the biggest fan of her sometimes. So she kind of to you know get at me became a Pliskova fan. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually really happy to see her doing well. She's been one of the most consistent forces on uh, tour in the WTA top ten for the past you know five years. So. 
good to see her picking it back up again and she has good memories in new york reaching the final in 2016 so that should be interesting and then the other side of her quarter is bianca andrescu's little section i have no idea what's going on with bianca i like don't know what to expect because she's technically the defending champion in terms of the ranking points because she didn't play last year so i don't really know what to expect yeah, so in Bianca's side of the quarter, it's definitely more stacked. It'll be difficult for her, and she has a tough round one versus Golubic, but then she also has Ostapenko, Kostyuk or Sakari, and Sinyakova, Kvitova, so there's a lot of big names here, so it's really up in the air about who will make this out of this, who will make it out of this section. It's definitely a tough one, but again, a lot of action, I mean, we've seen the U.S. Open put together these insane round one matches, really trying to attract the fans when finally they're back. And, I mean, they've really done it with the draws this year. So, again, Pliskova seems to be the strongest player in her quarter, and she is our pick to make the semifinals. Yes. Um, then we have Naomi Osaka's quarter. Starting from the top, there's Alina Svitolina, who's coming off of the Chicago 250 title. There's a few other threats there with Kazakina, Vondrosova, Halep, uh, Rybakina, but Svitolina seems in pretty good form. We feel that she has a good shot at making the quarters. She's been doing, she goes really under the radar sometimes with her success, but um, I mean, she's playing solid, so why not? Don't we have her as our finalist? In Don't the... give our entire bracket away, Josephina. Okay, fine. You know what? We'll talk about it more as the tournament goes on and as we're proven to be more and more correct. Exactly. So, Love the confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then when it comes to Osaka's section, like first we want to mention when it comes to Naomi Osaka, she recently posted something on Instagram about her mental health and she seems to be in a better place. I mean, even so, like that philosophy or what she was trying to say, I think it touched a lot of people. And I think it's great that she's speaking out again and relating to so many people. And it really just, it makes her such an amazing person as well as obviously she's an amazing player. And it really proves that she's still working through some stuff and she's had a tough season, but she is trying for not, not only for the fans, but for herself. And it's really great to see her putting in that effort and really, you know, like getting through it. So when it comes to tennis, her biggest threats are Coco Golf or Kerber in the round of 16. So, I mean, the Osaka Golf, can you call it a rivalry I at this point? So. I think so. I mean, one thing that I've noticed with Osaka is that she seems to be playing better in her bigger matches this year. Like, um, the one that comes to mind is the Wano versus Coco a few weeks ago. Um, so we feel that she could get through that, but a quarterfinal versus Svitolina could be difficult. Um, because again, it's unclear where she's at right now. She's the defending champion, a bit of a rocky season. She had that win streak snapped at, uh, Miami or was it, I don't know, when Maria Sacre beat her, like ever since then, it's been kind of like difficult. Um, but you know, as you said, she's very open and honest. She's so real. I think that's something that's really something big to respect from, someone who's such a big celebrity and athlete so um her 
well-being comes first, but I would love to see her have a really strong tournament this season just to prove to herself that she can, you know, she's kind of getting back on track. Yes, and then finally we have Arena Sabalenka's quarter, the second seed. So up top here we have Krajcikova's section. So Barbara has a good section. She's definitely looking prime for the second week, at least here. And it gets a bit complicated, though, with the defending finalists. We have Victoria Zarenka there. We have Begu, who reached the Cleveland final super recently, and Muguruza. So out of these, considering Vika's season, and it seems like Muguruza has a really good shot of making it deep here. I mean, if we look back to the beginning of her season, she was having a near-perfect season. She had some of the best stats on tour. And I really think that she could bring that back, especially since that was in the hardcore section of the year at the beginning of the year. And then now we're on hardcore again. And I think she could really bring that energy from before into these matches. And then maybe we have a Krajcikova Muguruza round of 16 because those two seems to be rivaling for the best shot at making it deep in this quarter. The bottom section of this quarter has Sabalenka, Jabour, and Merton, so that's really tricky. Um, Sabalenka and Jabour have been in form all in form all season, um, so I mean you also cannot never count out Mertens. But this section, you know, it is tough. It's a bit of a toss up, but we do like the chances of Muguruza, Sabalenka, Jabour, and Mertens. That's I know that's a lot of people, but like they're they're really all strong players simply by looking at the draw but i know josephina wants to disclose who we picked to come through yes we did um we picked muguruza to come through in our bracket and i mean based on her tennis today that is so possible i was impressed vekic is a very difficult first round opponent she's an amazing player and muguruza she came through i'm so proud of our so proud of our little pick there so yeah Okay, moving on to the ATP side, we're going to give you the same type of rundown. But first, we've got a few notable absences. They all break my heart. But first, we've got Rafael Nadal, who's dealing with a uh, recurring foot injury, so he ended his season. Then Roger Federer, who had another knee surgery. We don't really want to talk about this that much because it's just so painful to discuss. So he's not coming. And Dominic Thiem um, also has a wrist injury, that same one from, I think, Mallorca, um, and he's also ended his season. So the defending champion is out. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that, like, not only did they pull out of the US Open, like, this, the fact that the season is over, that just kind of, like, they're not going to be here until 2022. Like, Rafael Nadal and Dominic Thiem, they're not going to be on tour until 2022. That And it's August. Okay. I'm not okay right now. Anyways... Starting with Novak Djokovic's quarter, um, you might know him as the first seed. And obviously, we know that Djokovic is chasing history for that, not Golden Slam. It's not It's not Golden Slam without calendar the... Slam. Yeah, Calendar Slam, because Golden Slam, he would have had to get the Olympic gold medal, but he didn't. So, here we are. And the exciting threats in his quarter include Aslan Karatsev, Deminor or Fritz, but um, 
I mean, Null's level, like, if you really look at Null's level, are they really, are they really threats, or are they just gonna... Josefina? ...prove for good? Josefina? Yes. It's Nole. It's not Null, it's Nole. Djokovic? Um, I'm not very happy talking about this. It's okay. I'll push through. So, Jensen Brooksby is actually also in this, um, quarter... In this section of the quarter, he could make a good run. He could upset the number one seed. We really don't know, but really anything can know. happen. That's what we keep telling ourselves to make this exciting. Uh, the other part of this quarter is Matteo Berrettini's section. Our eyes are on a Matteo versus Hercage round of 16. The winner of this match, actually, I really think could test Djokovic. Um, I don't think, I mean, Matteo... It had a little bit of an injury in Cincinnati, so it's unclear where he's at. Hopefully, he's all good. Um, but don't sleep on Hercoc because he played some good matches in the U.S. Open hardcourt swing. Um, and we have, let's like just, <laughs> I don't know if it's embarrassing to disclose how far we have Hercoc going in our bracket. Was it to the final? Yeah. Okay, but he's Anyways, been playing so well. So I stand by that. Anyways, I stand by it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay, so um, next quarter we have Alexander Zverev, the fourth um, seeds quarter. And we're also calling this the Olympic Deja Vu quarter because um, Zverev... PCB is here. Yeah, exactly. Reserve PCB is here. here. And, and Kachanov is, is here. Exactly. So those three, the three pedalists... No, what is it? Podium... Did you just say pedalists? <laughs> I to say... Podium, podiumers, medalists. Metal- call them medalists. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I mixed up podiumers and medalists, even though the other one isn't a word. Podiumers is not a word. But now it is. And okay. Okay, so unfortunately, uh, Zverev is a big favorite to win in this tournament because, like we discussed earlier, he is playing some of his best tennis ever, which of course, again, is quite bad and terrifying that he's still thriving but um yeah he could definitely make a big run here if nobody stops him and nobody's stopping him so um we're interested by a possible Gaia fee versus Yannick Sinner third round match I would love to see that um because they Monfi is back with some great tennis by the way it's that newly wed and Mrs. Monfi exactly both Both of them. them And I I really love to see it because Gael, when he's playing well, it's such a show. Like, you're really just completely entranced by the match that he's playing. So it's great to see. Yeah, the bottom half of this section has a bunch of our favorite players, actually. Not, like, you know, some of which um, are included in the list of Shapovalov, Kachanov, PCB, Korda, and Opelka. We really don't have much confidence in Shapo, to be honest. He's defending, I think, quarterfinalist points uh, here. So his form recently has like been all over the place. He lost to Benoit Pair, right? Some, like, yeah, two weeks something ago. like that. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know. Picking PCB is like kind of attracting me. Yeah. I don't know. No, honestly, because he is... He beat, well, quote, beat um, Djokovic twice in the past year. Um, the first time was, you know, he had a little help. <laughs> but 
but um and then the Olympics. he fully beat him like that was a full match mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. let's see it happen again and then of course we have Corda making it to the final in this mm-hmm. half and um yeah and beating Djokovic in the semifinals to win the entire tournament sure yeah all right, then we are moving to the bottom half. So we have Stefano Tsitsipas, the third seeds quarter. I mean, like, that first round match versus Andy Murray. If you haven't heard about it, I don't know what kind of tennis fan you are. That was an epic, epic five-setter. I mean... Yeah, I mean, Andy Murray came back with some, like, some amazing tennis, and I was just so happy to see it. When I saw the first set score i was almost crying but then the match ended and i was like well that didn't go where i thought it was going but something has to be said about the fact that andy murray a guy with a metal hit hip was able to play so competitively with one of the best players on the tour right now yeah yeah like that's like he the man has still got it he like that tie break that he lost he was he could have won that set he was really close yeah so it's really just the little moments like that. And really, that's mental. He's playing amazing tennis, physically. So, yeah. He's not rusty yet. <laughs> that was the best pun I made ever. Anyways, our top contenders here in this quarter are Tsitsipas and Rublev. Because Rublev made the Cincinnati final. And then, of course, Tsitsipas has been playing some great tennis all year. And, I mean, finally, maybe we'll have Rublev making that Grand Slam breakthrough that we've been waiting for. Because, again, he's one of those players that they really, they thrive in the smaller tournaments. But maybe, finally, he can make it in one of the huge ones. Preferably the U.S. Open, because we love it there. And, yeah. And maybe, um, also looking at another person in this section in this quarter we have Felix Auger Eliassime who actually made quite a deep run at Wimbledon I believe he was a quarter finalist is that correct FAA yeah semi no quarter yeah Yeah, quarter finalist so uh, even though that was a different surface maybe he could do it again because I think that's really great that mentally he was able to make it that far however far he did make it we know that he made it to the second week at least if anything so maybe he could do it again maybe maybe all right last but not least we've got daniel medvedev's quarter one of our favorites you can hate us for that if you want i'm sorry we're we're med fans he actually has a really awesome draw and he's our pick to win the tournament because you know we'd like to be special but like being full honest there's literally no one in his quarter that could threat threaten him on hard courts considering his current form and you know like, how he gets with that new york crowd guys yeah there's there's casper rude there's diego schwartzman and there's Grigor dimitrov and i mean Need like i say they're more. they're great players and all but like but but um but no yeah <laughs> all right that's it for our uh u.s open sort of uh draw analysis we hope you we hope you liked our insights, but let's see how our picks hold up. I'm not too confident. No, that's actually a lie. I'm semi confident that we might have some victories with our picks, but I mean, if we're right, if we're wrong, it's our favorite tournament of the year, so we're just gonna be happy about that. 
Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the 2021 U.S. Open and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at HOTYR underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released later this week as the action in Flushing Meadows continues. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.